1: Dot com slash sacredtext today to get 10% off your first month. That's help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash sacredtext. Chapter 14, Felix Felicis. Harry had Herbology first thing the following morning. He'd been unable to tell Ron and Hermione about his lesson with Dumbledore over breakfast for fear of being overheard but he filled them in as they walked across the vegetable patch. I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
2: And I'm Casper Terkyle,
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, are you excited for our live show tonight in DC?
2: Yes, there's still some last minute tickets left. So go to harrypottersacredtext.com to get them. And if you live outside of the DMV area... This episode is going to be put into our feed, so you will hear our magical dulcet tones live from our nation's capital later on.
1: Yes, but everybody should come because Sixth and I seats 800 people, and so this could be the biggest (laughs) audience we ever Ever. have performed in front of. And I'm going to beat Casper at the 30-second recap, so everybody come and cheer me on as I do it.
2: (laughs) I have lost four live show 30-second recaps in a row at this point. I need to turn it around.
1: Ugh, now everyone's going to vote for you out of pity. This backfired, I can tell. (laughs) And, Casper, we also have a little bit of trivia. Did you know that there is a graveyard in the city of Edinburgh where Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling got a lot of her names? for the Harry Potter characters.
2: That's so cool. I've walked around Edinburgh to like see some of the Harry Potter sites, but I didn't see that one.
1: Yeah, McGonagall, Riddle, these are all from one specific cemetery. And another cool thing about Edinburgh is that we have a local group there called the Edinburgh. <laughs>
2: so good it's Edinburgh, like the weasley's house so it's totally hilarious it was set up by lena kickenborg christensen but it's a, a wonderful group that's run by everyone communally so a big shout out to our Edinburgh local group and to all the local groups around the world who read harry potter as a sacred text you can find out more about them and every other group at harrypottersacredtext.com forward slash groups
1: and casper it is your turn to tell a story what have you got for me today
2: You remember a few weeks ago, I was very excited to go to my first sort of quasi-LARPing experience.
1: Yes, and I'm upset I haven't gotten any (laughs) photos yet.
2: (laughs) There weren't too many cameras, thank God. Um, But I was wearing a fabulous cape and I was was just really excited to have kind of like a fun adventure, you know, running around the forests of Connecticut in the fall with friends, solving riddles and having sword fights with, you know, foam-covered swords and all the rest of it. And I did have that experience and it really was magical in lots of ways. But one thing that really kind of pushed me was that the organizers tried to invite all the participants not to treat it like a game or to treat it as make believe and kind of a fun pretend thing, but to try and take it as seriously as possible, to try and imagine that what was happening in the story was really happening and to kind of just let yourself melt into this narrative. And I noticed I really resisted it. I wanted to kind of experience it, but I didn't want to let myself completely go into it. I struggled. I struggled, especially on the, the second evening, there was this kind of like very beautiful scene where there were these characters that were kind of dancing and they're all in white and in the forest in a clearing with all these beautiful candles and this music. And, and we had to fulfill a mission. And I ended up trying to fulfill the mission by dancing the Macarena with my group, (laughs) which really kind of interrupted this magical moment, certainly for the people who were creating it. And so I want to explore in this chapter, what is it that leads us to resist in moments like that? Is it that I didn't feel safe? Is it that I kind of decided that I didn't want to, and I actually, I wanted to be silly? Like what was going on in me that led me to resist this invitation?
1: I resonate so much with your story, Casper. I was in a similar situation in a class that I had to take in business school, and I was the one who was like, crossed armed heels dug in, (laughs) like, I am not playing this game. And he came up to me and said, why are you afraid of being changed by this?
3: Ooh. And
1: I, of course, was like, I'm not. <laughs> Arms crossed more firmly. But, yeah, I totally resonate with that resistance. And, you know, we see that so much in this chapter where Ron is just resisting being vulnerable. And is, instead, is like willing to isolate everybody in mm-hmm. his life rather than just be vulnerable. We all resist out of these very strange compulsions that we can't quite understand. And I'm really excited that I finished business school over 10 years ago. So I'm really excited to maybe actually (laughs) finally figure this out with you. (laughs) Casper, do you know what I'm not going to (laughs) resist?
2: The 30 second recap.
1: Going first in the 30 second recap. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
2: Three, two, one, go.
1: So uh, they go to Herbology and Harry's really excited to catch up Ron and Hermione. And Harry's like, ooh, I think that Ron and Hermione might have feelings for each other because Hermione invites Ron to go to Slaghorn's party with her. And it's like clear that she means it as a date. And then Ron is doing really badly in Quidditch and – and he's getting, like, really upset about it. And so Harry um, fakes Felix Felicis into his thing. And then Ron catches Ginny making out. And he's like, I can make out, too. And so he makes out with Lavender. And Ron- uh, Harry's really upset. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it sounded like there was a third person in that La- Lavender Ron makeout session, which I'm open to.
1: <laughs> okay, Casper, see if you can find a- anything at all that I missed in three, two, one, go.
2: Okay, so the trio are in Herbology and they're trying to get these pods and you kind of get completely beat up by it. And Neville's amazing at it. Um, And then um, Hermione is totally into the slug club now. She's like, actually, it's really fun. And like, um, and Katie Bell is still like totally injured, but Harry doesn't want to replace her on the Quidditch team, um, but ultimately does um, um, by putting Dean on the team. And like Dean's really happy because now he can make out with Ginny and be on the Quidditch team. And Ron is just totally annoying and Ginny calls him a prat, which is absolutely fair. That was 30 seconds out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> okay, can we can we start with the Jenny amazing moment? Cause it is a moment of resistance that I really want to celebrate. Is that okay? Yeah.
2: I kind of forgot how like blunt she is. I think it's easy to lose track of Ginny in these books. And she is so strong and clear, but still loving. Like she's not mean about it. It's amazing.
1: Oh, I think she's a little bit mean, where she's like, are you making out with your owl? (laughs) So Ron slut shames her, right? Ron is about to call her a slut for kissing a boy in a hallway. And she just completely fights the entire patriarchy by confronting Ron. She does not shrug it off. She does not just let it go. She is like, do you know what? No, let's talk about this. And I really love Ron. I, you know, just finished reading book seven and think Ron is just has grown so much by the end of book seven. But I think we are in a dark, dark place with Ron here where he is. Reminding me of an incel, he mm. is involuntarily celibate, does not want to be the only member of his group of friends who hasn't snogged someone. And when he gets confronted with that fact, acts horribly and takes out a lot of that aggression on the women in his life. And I think it is. It's just hateful and insecure, and it bothers me so much.
2: Yeah, there's so much in the text in this moment. I mean, essentially, Harry and Ron are walking back to the common room and they've seen Dean and Ginny in this corridor. And there's kind of an awkward moment where they talk to one another. And it's Ginny who says, actually, hang on, you go. I want a word with my dear brother. And she's the one who says, like, right, Let's get this straight once and for all. It's none of your business who I go out with or what I do with them, Ron. And then Ron shouts, yeah, it is. Do you think I want people saying my sister is A? Exactly. And that's where that moment is like, we never get to see the word that he's going to say, but I think we can guess. And then she says, a what? A what exactly? And the thing that I thought was really interesting in the text in this moment is that we see Ron being described as bypassing red and turning maroon as he shouts, shut your mouth, bellowed Ron. And there's something about that word bypassing, which I thought was really interesting because it seems to suggest exactly as you're saying, like Ron goes from zero to 10 in ways which are really unfair on Ginny, first of all. But also he's letting himself down here because it's not about Ginny at all. It's about him and it's about his shame and it's about his sense of not enoughness and all of this other stuff that we know Ron struggles with. But I just thought that word bypassing was really interesting because it sends him way beyond where he should be in reacting to this moment.
1: I think Ron is the scariest character in this Mm. chapter. Like I would take Draco over Ron. This is where the patriarchy can rear its ugly head in just one man, right? Like he is yelling at Everyone, because he can't stop a goal. And this is the failure of society. And thank God for Harry, because Harry is the only one early on who at least a little bit resists him because everybody is complicit in this. I mean, he's scary, but everyone except for Ginny is just trying to assuage him and is like, you can do it, Ron, and avoid him and like play to his ego. And then Harry finally is like, I'm going to kick you off the team if you keep behaving like this.
2: I mean, obviously this whole Quidditch challenge that Ron is in is the background of that engagement with with Ginny as well, who is herself on the team and an excellent player. And I think the other dynamic that's at play is that they're brother and sister as well. So there's there's an element of like you don't fight as hard with anyone as you do with your own family. So I think that's in there as well. But it's, it's all about helping... Ron feel lucky. And of course, that's what he manages to do with the with the the faking of the Felix Felices potion. Because Ron is so dependent on feeling like things are going his way. And exactly as you said, like what happens when things don't go his way? He gets angry and he gets threatening. I want to talk about this later in our spiritual practice. But like he takes out his wand, right? Like there's real danger that happens. So All of that is to say Ginny's resistance to Ron, the fact that she chooses to confront him, becomes all the more remarkable, I think. Do you think she's doing it because Harry is there as well? And so she's like, I know Harry will, you know, back me up. Or do you think she's just like, I've had enough. Don't you dare. Like, I'm going to interrupt this now. Like, why is this the moment she chooses to resist?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I do think part of her identity is having been a victim of some sort of assault. She's like not with you, right? Right. Like, I've been attacked by Voldemort. I am not going to be attacked by my brother. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that this does remind me potentially for one of the answers to your LARPing question, it feels like Ron is resisting something here, right? He's resisting being changed in some way.
2: I mean, it's fulfilling that same identity of being a loser, the last one, right? Like, the one who doesn't have any money in the school group, the one who's the worst at Quidditch at home. I do feel for him. uh, His reaction is way out of line and Ginny is totally right to confront him. But you can see how it kind of piles up for Ron that he's like, oh God, here I go again. And he's not conscious of that. And I think that's what's dangerous is that he doesn't know why he's so angry. He really thinks it's about Ginny, but it's not.
1: Of course not. Why do you think, so here's the thing. He has all but been promised a snog from Hermione. She flat out... Asks him
2: on a date. <laughs> right to the slug club. She's like working up to it. And it's, I don't think it necessarily that she's nervous about it, but like they're both stumbling so awkwardly around one another that it's never really... I mean it's never like would you like to go to the slug club with me? It's like, well, I was going to ask you before you interrupted, etc., which is which is fair, but I think he's so scared of that. Like because Hermione isn't just some girl and and she's certainly not Lavender who seems, you know, very keen to to spend more time with Ron. Um so the stakes are higher with Hermione. Again, I don't even think this is conscious. I think he's fumbling and stumbling because he doesn't he doesn't know this is the first time. Even figuring out to go together to an event is, like, overwhelmingly complex.
1: Well, and he's resisting. He's like, he doesn't want Hermione to be his first kiss because Mm. Hermione has kissed Victor Crumb, right? Like, that's part of what sets him off.
2: Oh, that's interesting. It
1: seems so patriarchal. It just seems like he needs to have kissed more people than a girl. And it's like, and he's pretending that he's resisting you know, women and resisting, like women telling him he's weak when really what he's resisting is like being vulnerable and feelings.
2: I think that's exactly right. What he's resisting is actually feeling the feelings that are underneath this anger. That, that's why I love that bypassing word so much because he's he's skipping over what's real to get to the anger that he's showing, which is not really what he's angry about.
1: Right, because it is. It's the expectations that are often put on men to not go vulnerable, to not share their mm. feelings. He has been teased by Fred and George every time he's shown a feeling, right? right like, right. this is reified in a million different places in his life where he is punished for being vulnerable and celebrated for brawn. And like, this is not any individual's fault, this is a system's fault, mm. but we are just seeing it taken out on Hermione and Ginny. Right. And it made my blood boil.
2: Well, and all of this is so interesting when we compare it to what's happening for Harry in this chapter, because this is really the chapter where we get introduced to Harry's beautifully named monster. This feeling, basically his realization that he has feelings for Ginny. And unlike Ron, where, you know, this monster of feeling goes from completely unconscious to like bypassing into violent anger. For Harry, it's very conscious, but Harry's pushing it down, right? He's saying things like, she's out of bounds. So there's there's, this kind of spatial limits of where this feeling is allowed to go. And so he's resisting a reaction to Ginny also, but it's played out completely internally. So I, I just thought Ron and Harry have these really contrasting reactions to really what is a similar feeling.
1: Yeah. What struck me about that was how, I mean, there's like a very simple, straightforward solution to this issue, which is going up to Ron and being like, hey, I think I'm starting to have a crush on your sister. Would that upset <laughs> you? Right. And like, we never we never do that. I think it's just a resistance to being uncomfortable.
2: Well, but there's also a huge amount at stake, right? Because Harry has just witnessed Ron have this huge temper tantrum about Ginny kissing Dean. So he's like, oh my God, I know exactly what would happen if I was to kiss Ginny, right? Like, I would lose Ron's friendship.
1: Yeah, but now we're just letting Ron's temper dictate our decisions?
2: I mean, yes, but the the bigger issue at play is like, wow, I really value my friendship with Ron. If it was to end badly with Ginny, then it would be really difficult to to have this relationship with Ron in the same way. And I think there's plenty of like real life corollaries to that experience, which, yeah, it does change things. And for Harry at this point, I think his friendship with Ron is just more important than this kind of purring monster inside of him. <laughs> that, is, that is just very excited to see Ginny.
0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Redfin, it's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Casper, one other like love slash romance slash teenage botching of the whole thing (laughs) point of resistance that I see is Hermione and Ron are in this fight. You know, Hermione asked out Ron. Ron finds out that she snogged Crumb, which how did he not know that? He starts acting like a jerk and then he starts making out with Lavender and Hermione gets really mad. And instead of Hermione going up to Ron and being like, dude, I asked you out and now you're making out with like my doormate? That's so rude. She sends birds to attack mm-hmm. him. hmm I felt so hard for her because obviously option A is the like mature way to actually get what she wants, which is a vulnerable, real conversation with Ron that would probably lead to them dating. And I've just, you know, my my best friend Kim and I, we really don't fight very frequently. But when we do, she always is the mature one who like breaks down and is like, I don't understand why we're fighting. I, like, just want us to love each other and whatever it is that we're fighting about is stupid. Mm. And she's right. But I'm like, no, we have to fight about this thing because us loving each other doesn't make this fight not real. And so in that moment, I'm resisting just loving her. And I don't know. Part of me wants to justify it that, like, part of loving someone is not sweeping things under the rug and, you know, is like going through the hard times, not avoiding them.
2: But but this is really interesting. And I think Hermione's the right character to look at for that question, because she confunded McLagan, right, in the tryouts. And that led to Ron becoming the keeper. But she has this very intense reaction to Harry using the Felix Felicis, saying that it's, you know, it's unethical and it's wrong and he shouldn't do it. And there's something about like she wants to have that fight. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and I don't really understand why. Because she's literally done the same thing. In some ways, I, I experience her as like actually wanting conflict to be able to maybe work out her own feelings about what she's done.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I love that. Conflict is a is a process choice, right? Like right. if we fight, then I'm gonna, we're gonna get to the bottom of something.
2: Right. There is something about Hermione, which fits with that, right? Like she's such a a studious person. She's very driven by understanding and and the truth. And I think that's also why Ron choosing lavender is so insulting to her. She doesn't respect Ron in this chapter. And I think that's the most harmful thing in a relationship is when you lose that fundamental respect for one another, because he's unwilling to interrogate the reality of what's happened. And And he's choosing someone to snog who, you know, she doesn't have much time for.
1: Yeah, I I think also there's also only so much bravery that we have. Right? Yeah. Like she was brave enough to ask him out finally even though like he didn't ask her out for the Yule ball and she's like I used up all my brave points and mm. I am no longer brave enough to confront you about this
2: yeah like with the birds at the end it's actually very unhermione it's like the last resort it felt very much like exactly like you're saying like she has used all her capacity for courage and for extending the hand right she's like brought the olive branch a couple of times and now she's just she feels scorned i think she feels like she's a fool
1: i just also i i just feel for her this moment's where i'm done
2: yeah exactly
1: I mean, my mom used to tease me growing up that, like, I could take it and take it and take it. And then, like, the last minute of something, I was just like, and I'm done. My mom was like, why can't you just hold it together for another 30 seconds? And I do wonder if part of it is the performance, not intentionally, but, like, just this, like, I need everyone to see that I'm done in order to be left alone right? And Hermione sends the birds. She's like, just don't even talk to me. I need to literally push you away right now. Ron has just like let out anger, let out anger at every point. And her, we've watched Hermione hold it together and hold it together and hold it together. And then she's just like, and I'm done.
2: That's really helpful because I think that's exactly right, that there is a essentially. Ron is processing everything that happens to him externally straight away. We see very little thoughtfulness. We see Hermione constantly stepping out of a situation, right? Like she's going somewhere else to think about it, to stew on it, to process it, to just absorb it. And then there comes that moment at the end of the chapter where she responds with violence. And she as exactly like you said, she's done. But she is having to take much more before she's having that reaction. And so, frankly, is Ginny. And Ginny's way of being done, I would say, is even more productive because she she's stepping into the conflict. She's yeah, being yeah, yeah. very explicit with her words, right? So it's funny because she's the youngest one out of all the characters in this chapter. And yet she's the one who's actually handling this with the most maturity.
1: Well, I feel like she has had to be mature in that yeah. house where she like mostly spent her life with Percy, Fred, George and Ron, not the most mature <laughs> people in the world not the people who are best at conflict in the world. And so she was like, I am going to be good at this. (laughs) Exactly. Casper, I'm wondering if you would like to go to the herbology classroom with me.
2: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I actually saw a moment of resistance there, not so much between the characters, but what happens when the students engage the Snagaloff stump. This is a, a magical plant that looks like just kind of like a tree stump, but it has these pods inside, which seem to have some sort of like tiny worms, which apparently are useful for something. But anyway, the thing that I saw in Times of Resistance is that it takes three students to kind of hold these different tentacles and, and to withstand its physical attacks. They, they get bruised and scratched. And then one of them has to stick their arm down into the tree stump and pull out one of these pods. And It was just interesting to me to think about resistance in the context of this biological moment, because here is a plant that is protecting itself, right? It's being invaded. I was just thinking about the echoes of, you know, the snuggle of stump and what we're going to see in the Battle of Hogwarts, for example, the ways in which this kind of ecosystem protects itself and, and the ways that it's totally legitimate in this kind of like defensive resistance.
1: Oh. I love that. I mean, it's the difference between attacking and being ready to defend yourself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I even just think, and this is very much based in the way that I was raised, but I think of education as a form of resistance. Hmm. Learning is hard, right? I mean, just like LARPing, it's being willing to grow and change and do new things is hard and uncomfortable and icky. and But I think that Learning is getting ready to resist when you don't know what. You're just arming yourself with knowledge in case of what comes before
2: you. Oh my God, Vanessa, I now understand why I was resisting that LARP experience because learning what? If you're you're in a classroom environment and you're learning about new herbology plants and magical things that grow in the wild, that's going to be useful and great. But I think the reason why I was resistant in that weekend experience was I wasn't clear about what it was that I was going to be learning. I kind of was like, I'm not sure I want to be changed into what is being offered to me here. Do you know what I mean?
1: Totally. I think that that was my resistance in all of business school.
2: (laughs) Right? Right? It's like, I don't want to be like this. Right. I stood
1: (laughs) in the corner because I was like, I don't want to be changed by you. (laughs) Whereas in divinity school, I was like much more willing to be changed and jump in because I was like, yes, yes change me oh that's so helpful
2: and i want to stress that like it it wasn't about those individuals necessarily right like everyone i had a personal connection with or a conversation with i really enjoyed but i think it was like that this was not necessarily community that i was like oh this is where i want to invest my time and this is where i want to show up you know every year it's about do i want to allow myself to be changed into this image. And for me the answer was no, and that's why I resisted it.
1: Well, or do I just trust this person enough, right, to to like hold that space? You know, I just got back from our Harry Potter pilgrimage hmm. and we went on a night walk and we went on it was pitch black, the moon was covered by the clouds. We, you know, you're not allowed any sort of like lantern or flashlight or what do you people call it?
2: A torch. Torch. <laughs>
1: we weren't allowed torches, anything. And Everybody was really nervous except me because I knew the guy who was leading it. Yeah. And I was the only one who did. I'd met Nigel before and I trust Nigel completely and... And then at the very end, it was so interesting because at the end, we were processing and people were talking about different parts of the walk that had made them nervous. And I was like, Doop, doo, doo. I was never scared at all. <laughs> and then Nigel was like that really dark part of the forest. You know, I was scared. And I looked at him and I felt so betrayed. I was like,
2: <laughs> you were scared? I should have been scared. <laughs> yeah. And I was like,
1: Nigel, I had total faith in you. And he <laughs> was so offended. He was like, I'm still a person, Vanessa. And I was like, oh, man, I had handed over all resistance. I was just like, I trust Nigel. And he was like, I can't control if they're like animals. Right. Like there's only so much I can control. And so it was a reminder that like blind faith is probably too far. I mean, I had a great time on that night walk because I wasn't scared of anything. (laughs) But I should have been resisting a little, right?
2: Absolutely. And I'm seeing so clearly Harry's relationship with Snape, right, in the occlumency lessons, where he's like, I don't trust you. Like, I don't want to let you see this, right? That there's so much resistance there. While the experiences with Dumbledore at first were much, much more open. And even here, he's like, I don't understand why I'm seeing all of these old stories about Voldemort. But I right, like I have enough trust in Dumbledore that I'm not going to resist his method of teaching me. So I think this is really something important for us to pay attention to. Like, Where is that resistance showing up in the relationships? Because yeah, it indicates the level of trust. It indicates the level of formation, to use that classical kind of religious word of like, who do I want to become like? And I think that's one thing we don't really think about enough, which is that we're always being formed, right? Even if we're not choosing to go to a specific community or a specific lineage of teaching about something, we're still being formed by our dominant culture in exactly in the way that Ron has been formed here about how to respond as a man. You know, that, that we, our bodies are literally sites of formation that we are always becoming and we have to choose who do we want to become like, because if we don't choose, then someone else will choose for us.
1: Or, you know, my biggest fear is that my laziest version of myself will choose, Mm -hmm. that I'm just going to choose to rewatch Friends Forever rather than pick up a book. Mm -hmm. I I think that that's such a good reminder that I am always forming myself and I should be picking the things that nourish me and help form me into the person who I want to be. There should always be something maybe a little bit aspirational about what we're up to.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: Or at least when we have the capacity for it, right? Because I also just so feel for Hermione and being like, I don't want to aspire to anything. Bird attack.
2: So, Vanessa, it's our final week of doing Havruta. And the question that really struck me that we've already touched on in some ways, but I want to really dig into is how does magic show up in interpersonal relationships, in couples, in families? Because we see in this chapter two moments that we've talked about a little bit, which is that Ron and Ginny are casting spells at one another, right? Their wands are out. They're having this fight. We see this orange light shoot past there's something super intense going on there. And then, of course, Hermione's bird attack on Ron. The reason why I want to ask this question is because we know the, the violence that magic can do. And the, the answer I have is that I think these are spells intended to hurt or to humiliate My suspicion is that there's some sort of difference in the magic that's cast at each other when you're within a sort of familial or or spousal relationship. And I don't think we get to explore that very much in these books. So I want to spend some time digging into that together. What do you think?
1: I mean, I'm just thinking about the ways that we in the muggle world have these romantic trope ways of hurting each other that we would never do outside of romantic
2: relationships. Exactly. Right. There's a different quality to the fights we have.
1: (laughs) Right. And so I'm thinking, right, like your partner who you live with betrays you. And there's like the classic sort of trope of like throwing their clothes outside of a window. Whereas if you get into a fight with a roommate That does not seem like the place to go. (laughs) And I think romantic love, really, it's just all the stakes, right? It is our attractiveness, our finances, our home. It's just that we wrap up so much into each other. And so when those fights happen, it's, oh, my God, I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you know, spells are coming out orange,
2: Well, and that's even more intense, I think, with families. Like my suspicion is that that orange light that's being shot, you know, from Ginny to Ron or from Ron to Ginny, like that it's a different type of hex that even if you're saying the same words or intoning the same spell, that there's something about it that's different.
1: So what I think it is, is that we on some level, I think, walk around in the world do believing that love is protecting us, right? That, Mm. you know, I fell last week. And as I was sitting on the floor, worried that I wasn't able to stand up, the only thing I wanted to do was text Ariana and Peter, right? My adrenaline was pumping through me, and I couldn't figure out what to do next. And obviously, this wasn't how I articulated it to myself, but I was like, love will protect me. I'm just going to throw this problem at two people who I love, and they will solve it. And so I think that the reason that the magic is different is because the moments in which It appears as though that's not true. It appears as though love is not going to protect us. We get hurt in a different primal, in our bones way. Mm, Where it's, mm -hmm. I thought you were the person who I could call if. And so moments where that idea is punctured is just, it is as scary as almost dying.
2: Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about Bellatrix's words when she says, you know, you have to mean it, Potter, when he curses his first unforgivable curse. And there's something about, you know, I'd gone into this conversation thinking, well, maybe that orange light is just like a friendlier version of red, you know, like it's less bad. But now I'm thinking actually, right, there's nothing worse (laughs) than, than like a real fight with someone that you love, that you're then betrayed by, right? Like love can turn into hate. Quicker than nothing can turn into hate. Yeah, and so maybe, maybe these curses that are being, you know, hurled at one another within families or within whatever it is, actually are more poisonous. Like they're more dangerous because they have that. I don't know, like a like a rich source. They've been bubbling away for all this time, and and now they're being shot at one another. So they actually might be more dangerous.
1: Yeah. And I just want to be clear for our listeners. I didn't call Casper because he moved to New York and abandoned me.
2: <laughs> oh, well, thanks for exploring this to question with me.
1: Thank you for bringing such a beautiful question. I love you. I love you. Move back to Boston.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimald Place. Redfin, it's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
3: Hi Casper, Vanessa and the whole Sacred Text team. My name is Grace, I'm calling from the UK. I've been binging your podcast from the very beginning and I just listened to your episode from book five on Beyond the Veil through the theme of home. I was really struck by the idea that home is a series of moments in your life rather than an exact physical space. And I would like to talk to you a little bit about my childhood house. About five years ago, my parents got divorced and my dad moved to Canada. It was a really difficult time for me I was 15, dealing with exam stress, and I'd just been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, which I still deal with to this day. During that time, my house became both a kind of magical sanctuary and a site of emotional violence. My mum was going through the most difficult time in her life, and often coming home and entering a shouting match or a flood of tears that I was not old enough to cope with. I've since moved out of that house, and my mum has gone through an incredible process of emotional healing. But she's selling the house this year, and I'm devastated about it. I've been trying to make sense out of what I'm feeling, in particular why I'm sad to be leaving a place that I now associate with misery and loneliness. After listening to your episode, I think I understand the reason why. That time in my life was one of change in which neither of my parents could be there for me when I needed them the most. The only thing in my life that remained constant was that house and my little room where my books and my guitar lived. My wonderful partner for my birthday this year gave me a collage of photos taken inside the house, spanning all 21 years of my life. On the collage he wrote, just because we're moving ahead doesn't mean we have to leave the memories behind. It struck me listening to your episode that the house was to me what Sirius was to Harry, a vital support in a really difficult time, but impermanent. And just like Harry, I'm determined to carry on regardless. And like Harry, I want to make a new home in the little pockets of joy, like my friends and my work. So I guess this is a blessing for anyone who feels like they've lost their home to have Harry's strength, and to find home within yourself. Thank you so much for making this incredible podcast and for reigniting my love of Harry Potter. And thank you for listening.
2: Hmm. Grace, thank you so much for that voicemail. And that's actually really helpful to think of Sirius in that way. And I'm suddenly seeing him as a kind of storage unit of memories, <laughs> which I guess I hadn't seen that directly before, and your your thoughts just really bring that relationship to a new depth for me. So I really appreciate that, and I'm I'm so glad that that's kind of been a new a new chapter for you personally as well. Thank you.
1: It also sounds like you have a really wonderful partner. Yeah. Thank you, Grace. So, Casper, it is now time for blessings. Who would you like to bless this week?
2: We haven't really talked about him very much, but I'm going to bless Harry. Um, Harry is so intentional about staying really loyal to both Ron and Hermione as their friendship breaks down and we see him you know he's trying to be protective of Ron but also confronts him when he he becomes really toxic on the Quidditch pitch like I just love that Harry who has so often needed the like calm loving protective care of whether it's Hagrid or Molly Weasley or Dumbledore or Sirius that he is now actually that caregiver to his friends and and his teammates who he's responsible for. So for anyone who is kind of stepping up to the plate to look after and protect others um, as they're going through something really hard, this blessing is for you.
1: I want to bless Lavender for this just small moment at the end of the chapter. She's finally gotten what she wants. She has a crush on Ron and he's finally paying attention to her. And they sort of stumble into a classroom to make out. And they see Hermione and Harry in there and she excuses herself immediately. Mm. And I just think it's a sign of respect for Hermione. She's like, this moment's not about me. I'm going to leave and let you guys handle this amongst the three of you. And I just think that she could so easily be like overwhelmed by how excited she is and be like, well, I'm part of this conversation too. And instead, she just excuses herself. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and join our Facebook group to chat with other listeners about the episode. You can leave Casper a review on iTunes. You can just write, <laughs> Dear Casper, in your reviews. You can also send us a voicemail at Text at gmail.com. And please support Raisa's. Our border fundraiser is ongoing, and you can learn more about it at harrypottersacredtext.com. We hope to see you at one of our live shows tonight in Washington, D.C., in Chicago on November 21st. In Toronto, which is in Canada on December 9th. In St. Louis, which is in America on December 19th.
2: Next week, we'll read Chapter 15, The Unbreakable Vow through the Theme of Sacrifice. And don't forget to check out The Women of Harry Potter. This episode is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Niddleman. Our associate producer is Chelsea Erson. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. And we are part of Night Vale Presents. Thanks to Grace Carroll for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and of course, Stephanie Fulsell. We'll see you all next week. Bye everyone.
1: Bye. Please stop saying purring monster inside <laughs> him.
2: But that's in the text. It's this amazing, like, I just love this line. But unbidden into his mind came an image of that same deserted corridor with himself kissing Ginny instead. The monster inside his chest purred. ha ha ha!